This podcast is brought to you by The Province. Listening to Keyboard Kimura, the official mixed martial arts podcast of the province. Here are your hosts, Paul Chapman and E. Spencer Kite. Welcome, everybody, to another edition of the Keyboard Kimura podcast here on Province Sports Radio. I am your host, E. Spencer Kite, taping this on a beautiful Sunday afternoon here in Abbotsford, joined on the other side of the Skype machine by my post media partner in crime. He is fresh from Las Vegas. He is the Calgary Suns' Danny Austin. What's up, dude? It's been a while. What's up, buddy? I mean, I definitely wouldn't say that I'm fresh from Las Vegas right now. <laughs> I, I, okay, I'm you're, you're like that. rank from Las Vegas? <laughs> yeah. Right um, from Las Vegas? I mean, I'm, I am I will wash the grime off of me from Las Vegas um, in an hour or two. But, uh, I mean, I'm it, it, you know how it is when you come out of one of these big fight weeks and you're just exhausted, but it's the best possible exhaustion. That's where I'm at right now. Um, <laughs> I... I got to customs at the Calgary airport and there must've been 2000 people in front of me. And I was like about to absolutely snap. And I didn't even have the energy. I was just like, <laughs> who cares that we only have two customs agents serving this many people. We're okay. But UFC 202 broke me, but uh, it's good to be broken. I guess pro tip on the customs line, Nexus card, hundred percent worth it. <laughs> like randomly <laughs> went, like randomly got one last year and it was, it wasn't even an, uh, like, it was coming back from the Saskatoon show because it was on a Sunday night. So everybody gets to the airport in the morning to like fly out to wherever they're going because no one stays in Saskatoon that long. And there was literally 300 people in line at five 30 in the morning. And I was like, this is the worst. If I had a Nexus card, I'm already through this line. Damn it. And I went and got it right away. So that is a pro tip. Definitely take a shower and, and wipe the grime off later because that is that is definitely what happens after four days in Las Vegas. But it was a great four days. It was a great event. Um, let's just jump right into it. Obviously, Conor McGregor evens the score with Nathan Diaz, um, gets a majority decision victory on Saturday night at UFC 202. First of all, what was did, it felt in watching it from home that the atmosphere and the buzz of las vegas kind of changed from wednesday thursday where it felt like maybe it wasn't that big and yes the melee at the press conference kind of brought a little more attention and then all of a sudden like turn up at weigh-ins and it's just the irish had arrived and became that great sort of festive conor mcgregor fight atmosphere again and i mean i'll start with the weigh-ins because Fortunately, I can joke a little bit about this because nothing happened. It was the first time at any fight ever where I have been a little bit actually scared. <laughs> um, it, it was it was the craziest that I've ever seen weigh-ins, and they weren't at the normal spot. It's basically a big airport hangar or whatever, um, and the Irish were on one side, and then you had a bunch of Americans on the other side. Um, not Luckily enough, the thing went down, but there was an angry vibe there there was the always i mean the irish were always just drinking and having fun but i i was worried about it, it going off and tuesday i i went out for dinner with uh our, our buddy john morgan and our, our other friend simon head and all of us were we just couldn't figure out why 
we weren't feeling it, like why the excitement just wasn't in the air. Um, and I mean, there's, there's probably a lot of reasons for that. There's a, probably a little bit of a hangover from everything that happened surrounding UFC 200. Um, there was Connor wasn't really playing the game, but by the time those two stepped into the octagon and it, you're, you're right, it built on Friday, something changed on Friday. Um, and by the time those two stepped in the octagon, it was, um, it was a, it felt as big <laughs> as 194, maybe not quite as big as 194, but as big as 196, um, and bigger in an, in another way. It wasn't just about Connor. There was a, a real back and forth tension that was exciting to be, to, to be a witness to. Yeah. I talked to PT. He was on the podcast before flying to Vegas and he had just said, you know, there's been all this stuff that has been going on this summer for Irish fans with the Euro and, and, you know, some people going to the Olympics and things like that. And just, it's another fight in Vegas. It costs a lot of money. So it's hard to get that many Irish people over there. And it felt that way earlier in the week. And then you tune into the weigh-in show and it's just chaos. And you see the MMA fighting guys do their preview show in front of throngs of Irish fans that just swallow up Mark Ramundi and Sean Shadi when they pick Nate Diaz. Mm-hmm. Um, and then that just, as you said, it carried over into last night. It felt like the the card got started in a positive way with a bunch of finishes, a bunch of fun fights. Kind of dipped a little bit, but then, you know, Donald Cerrone happened, Anthony <laughs> Anthony Johnson happened, and then it was just on to an instant classic in my mind. Let's get the, the formality part out of the way. Scoring was correct in your eyes. I assume three to two is how you had it from cage side. Yes. Um, and I, I've talked to, I mean, I, I had a drink or two with the Irish guys after the fight. And I mean, they obviously were a hundred percent on board. Um, as I was kind of walking back from the T-Mobile mobile arena to Hooters, where you and I always stay, um, I was, I was thinking to myself, like, no matter what, if Nate is given that decision victory, it's way more controversial. <laughs> right. I mean, Connor narrowly won that fight. Um, I, I have no issue with the scorecard. It was a close fight, but. Connor won and I we don't have to create you know you and I what wouldn't but there doesn't have to be an artificial controversy just because right. it was close right well, and it, it felt like one of those fights and and I saw and had the benefit of sitting here and, and watching stuff unfold on social media afterwards while you were at you know media tents and stuff like that and and seeing people quoting the stats and quoting sort of some of the stuff that comes out and it's like it was one of those fights that you cannot try to judge in totality you have to judge it in five minute increments and in my eyes, the right guy won in that setting. I think if you want to judge it in terms of not not the result, the official result, but of who came away looking better, I think Nate Diaz comes out looking better because yet again, he took the best that Conor McGregor had to offer and fired back and didn't fall. Um, I think Conor showed some championship medal and some steely reserve by being able to push through because it looked, and I'm sure you guys thought it in the moment watching that second round unfold of, this is going down, like the ex- this is the exact same fight. I sat here watching it in my office and was like, this is going to happen again. Like Nate is just going to do this for a second straight time, and it's going to be madness. I was sitting in your seat. You know, the one you normally get. And I, I don't know if I should be saying the name of the USC employee who was sitting next to me. but It's the Dave it, Schaller seat. It's the Dave Schaller seat. You, you, that seat is at the end of the line. You sit next to UFC VP of PR and athlete development, Dave Schaller, because he wants to sit near people that are going to be as excited as he is. Exactly. And, and paying Schaller attention. Was like, Schaller was saying, 
oh my God, it's happening again. <laughs> like we were both being like, it's the exact same fight. And I think that's part of the reason why people are scoring at the second round for Nate is because it felt so similar. The momentum shift was so similar um, to what happened in the second, in, in the first fight. And therefore in their minds, they're kind of equating them to being the same thing, but they weren't. Nate had a really good last minute. He sees yeah. the momentum, had a great third round. I, I thought he was going to win the fourth, got hit by a body shot that I right. believe was the turning point of the fight. Um, I don't think Nate could do anything. I think his rib was probably broken. Um, he alluded to it being hurt before in the press conference. And But that second round, taken independently, Connor wins the first three and a half minutes for right. sure. Well, and and there's, there's the two knockdowns that you can't just... Even if you want to say they were flash knockdowns and he got put on his butt for a couple of seconds and got right back up, and then, as you said, won that final 60 to 90 seconds with shots where it looked like maybe he's going to put Conor McGregor down. He didn't, and therefore the weight of those knockdowns just overrides the final 60 seconds. It is scored different than boxing. It should be scored different (laughs) than boxing. I don't have an issue with it being scored different than boxing, but in boxing... Those three knockdowns would count for everything. Yeah, those knockdowns would make it like a 10-7, 10-8 round for sure. Exactly. And, um, I mean, I actually, one of the Irish guys, um, and for those listening, I love the Irish media who come. Um, They are very invested in Conor McGregor. (laughs) Um, And and they believe that, I mean, we started talking, what happens with Eddie Alvarez? And they just think it's a joke fight and Conor kills him. I mean... There's they they are very biased. Not all of them. Not not Pete Carroll for sure. And there's a couple others who are right. very rational. But, there but are we have had conversations with them where they have told us in the past that Conor McGregor would sleep Robbie Lawler, yes. and it would be the easiest fight in the world. And then you see that fight with Nathan Diaz, both the first time and the second time, and you think to that interview Robbie Lawler gave where he said he would he would eat Conor McGregor's soul, and you think <laughs> that is absolutely what would happen. It would look like a Derek Lewis fight. Like, that's like, um, <laughs> shout out to the Black Beast. Shout out to the Black Beast every time, every time I can. But um, yeah, and I mean, they their argument that I actually do think is valid was that the judge who scored the third round, I guess, 10-8 for Diaz, if you were going to score a round 10-8, you probably had to score the first round 10-8 for Connor. Um, I mean, I, I wouldn't have, but I wouldn't have scored either of the rounds 10-8. Right. Um, I just... I. Like Connor won the fight. I mean, he <laughs> he won the fight, and I I mean, I'm I'm gonna allude to this conversation with the Irish a couple times because they're interesting guys. But um, I asked them, does this fight make Connor a bigger star than he was before? And and they said that Connor was never bigger, and never will be bigger than than basically between the Mendez and the Aldo fight. Um, and I've always thought that. Connor didn't, you know, jump the shark, but I always thought that his press conference with RDA was the first time where I thought he went a little bit too far. Um, when he came out as El Chapo and yeah, he talked was, talked about his kids with American names and all of that stuff. Exactly. I and like RDA is in general, general one of the class acts of the sport. Right. And um, you know, I in that one I thought that he 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 bought into his own comedic persona a little too much um so they said that this doesn't but what's funny is for me i'm online i'm seeing major media personalities you know bill simmons saying this is the best fight he's ever seen for me in north america i think that this that performance pushes connor to a whole new level of of, of popularity and fame because i've watched all of connor's fights even from before the ufc i had never seen him get hurt prior to the first nate fight so that opened up all of these questions about 
is Connor an actual fighter or is he a knockout artist? And uh, he proved that he's a fighter last night. <laughs> yeah, to, well, and that's the interesting thing. Like, to me, my takeaway was both of these guys come away as bigger stars, as bigger draws, as bigger crossover entities because so many people were invested in this fight. And as you said, Bill Simmons, I have just his string of quotes embedded in a story that I wrote today uh, that should be up by the time most people are listening to this on theprovince.com. And when those kind of people, those people that don't necessarily sit down to watch every UFC event and don't necessarily tweet about UFC events, start taking notice. That's when you know you have something different. So it may not be that way to the guys from Ireland and, and that have been dealing with Connor and a lot of Connor coverage for a couple of years now. But on a larger scale, this is a fight that put them into the next level, which to me is why you run this thing back as quickly as is humanly okay and Mm -hmm. as in line as you can with sort of the tent pole events that the UFC has, like Super Bowl weekend. And I I was going to say, it's a Super Bowl show for me. You do not do it in New York. There's a little bit of, there's going to be narrative fatigue no matter what. Give it till give it till next early next year. Yeah. I mean, to me, that's the way I, I look at it as well. Um, my column that'll be out in Monday's paper. I like everybody knows I was against this immediate rematch. I thought it was overkill. It was unnecessary. We saw a clean finish in the first one. So there was no need to run it back. But after that thing on Saturday night, you 100% do this again and strike while the iron is hot. I understand that that screws some stuff up at featherweight and that, you know, denies Eddie Alvarez his ticket to the circus and changes a bunch of stuff for a bunch of different people. But you know what? That is the biggest fight you can make right now. It's the only thing Nathan Diaz wants to do. Conor McGregor will be happy to run that back a third time to try to really cement himself and sort of win win the battle. And listen, whoever wins that fight is coming out as the UFC's biggest star. So why not do it again, brother, and, and make a whole another pile of cash you let Eddie Alvarez fight Habib Nurmagomedov or someone else in New York City, and you just go from there. And I agree with you. I think Super Bowl is the time to do it, provided everybody's healthy and everybody is sort of moving forward without an issue and without trouble. It gives them five, six months to relax, to sort of reset that narrative, as you said. It's not pushing another Connor and Nate fight down our throat right away. It gives us a chance to build to it and get that anticipation again where you mm-hmm. can tease over two or three months little clips of that fight and little sound bites of them yipping at each other and things like that so that come Super Bowl weekend in Las Vegas, before that big game, it becomes just a massive, massive event. And and this sort of what you're saying, I, I agree with everything you're saying. Um, and I hope that I can articulate this because I think that they connect. But, I mean, I've you and I have sort of come out differently on this sort of guys calling for money fights. I don't, I don't really <laughs> mind it. Um I think that ultimately, like, the biggest money fights bring the most eyeballs, which proves that that's the ones that the fans like. My issue is Nate Diaz said it this week. He was like, I'm not interested in giving guys money fights. I'm interested in guys who earn money fights. Right. They shouldn't just be profiting off my name. I should be profiting off their name as well. And with guys like Woodley and with and Eddie Alvarez, I mean, I think those guys have a little work to do. Um and and that was where I came down with it ultimately with Woodley. It's like, I don't begrudge these dudes going out and trying to make as much bank as possible. Like, you've got families, you've got short windows, 
You put your body on the line for this sport. Get as much as you can. Mm-hmm. But Tyron Woodley needs George St. Pierre and needs Nick Diaz. Exactly. That's Conor McGregor point. doesn't need anyone. No. And, I mean, an Eddie Alvarez-Nate Diaz fight is not big because it's Eddie Alvarez and Nate, right. Nate Diaz. It's big because Nate Diaz, and I think Nate Diaz, I like can't believe I'm saying this. I think he's actually a marketing genius. Um, <laughs> walking out of that press conference, I mean, Nate had to carry the promotional weight for this fight. I don't love throwing bottles. I got water all over my leg, uh, which I'm not complaining about. It was, I was laughing the entire time trying to film a video. But, um, I mean, that's what got people talking about this fight. On, on, like, he, he did it. He did exactly what they asked him. Um, just He did it in his own Nate Diaz way. <laughs> Eddie Alvarez, like, look, man, if Connor wants the belt, at lightweight, he should do it. I'm a I'm a pretty big believer that it's time for Connor to give up the feather, the featherweight title. Um, if he's not going to go fight Auto, and if he's raising a fuss about it, it will have been a year that he's absent. That for me, a year without injuries is is where it's appropriate to take a guy's belt away. Well, um, and that becomes the tough part for him, right? Is like I saw yesterday going sort of after Dana White was on ESPN and mentioned, you know, he's got to decide or we're going to take the belt from him. Um, Somebody had tweeted something at Cahal Pendred, his teammate at, at SBG Ireland and former UFC fighter, who said Jose Aldo once went 13 months without defending the same belt. And I had to stop myself from being the guy that injected, it, you know, worked his way into the conversation and said, you know, well, Aldo got hurt. Like he was booked for a couple fights in there and he got hurt. And that's why it extended to 13 months. Connor's healthy and fighting. He's just not fighting in that division because there are bigger opportunities for him. I agree with him that it would be weird if they strip him and, and put Jose Aldo back up as, you know, the undisputed champion. I think he's holding out to get that second belt so he can make that history, and mm-hmm. then he will happily drop the belt. And to me, that's why you just let him... I mean, it's it, the UFC has so many options. I know I just said that do the rematch right away. If that's not what's happening, he needs to fight for the lightweight title so that we can move forward with everything else. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I <laughs> agree with everything you're saying. And it's weird. Weird doesn't always mean bad. Right. If they, if they, um, I mean, I think that's what he wants. I think he wants yep. to fight at lightweight. Um, and I think and... you can have Jose Aldo defend the interim title. Like, he doesn't, ha- I know that Jose Aldo wants this fight with Conor McGregor. Of course he does. He got knocked out in 13 seconds. We were there and left mind spinning watching it happen and be like really 10 years just ended in 13 seconds Mm -hmm. but you don't have that clout right now jose aldo you can't demand that fight and conor mcgregor has no necessary desire to come back and fight you so guess what max holloway you're probably going to be up and that's a hell of a fight yeah it's awesome it's (laughs) awesome and i mean again uh, the only thing i would say is that if they do strip conor of of the featherweight belt and they give it to aldo and then eventually Connor goes to reclaim it. It really is the same thing. I mean, it, talking about bouts, ultimately two guys step in. Yes, one guy's the champion, one guy's the challenger. But they're fighting for a world title. It's two guys fighting for a championship. And, right. You know, like John Jones has referred to it. You know, he's won. I think he said that he won eight world championships. Right. He didn't say he defended his belt seven times after winning it once. I mean, if if you give all of the belt and then McGregor comes back. It doesn't really make that much of a difference. I mean, it's yeah. still two guys fighting for the featherweight title. Um, but you know, to get back to our first point, the fight to make, we don't get these trilogies <laughs> very often. Um, the, you know, they're so rare and 
I don't always love when they run back title fights right away. Uh, I didn't think Chris Weidman necessarily should have gotten the first shot, in part because I just thought Rockhold would crush whoever was put in front of him, which proved very wrong. Um, but in this case, this is these are special circumstances. Right. Um, these guys bring out something special in each other, um, and it's what I, it's what I want. Just as a fan, like it's what I want. And well, and the other part of it is. And my reference is always to the Cain Velasquez Jr. Dos Santos trilogy. Those two were the very best in the heavyweight division, bar none, and we exhausted that rivalry in the span of two years at most. I think it was even less than two years, to the point that they cannot fight again because the last two fights were such lopsided beatings. I think you could have put a year, two years in between that second fight and the third fight and let Junior try to get a couple of victories to build himself back up. And recover from the beatdowns. And recover from the beatdowns. The thing with this one is these guys aren't even naturally in the same weight class. Like, these guys don't have to be fighting each other. That's what makes it special. Nothing else has to stop because of it outside of Connor defending the featherweight title. Mm -hmm. But you could just do it again and it's almost a, like, get it done so that both of these gigantic new superstars can move forward and be superstars that spread their superstar dust onto other people and help elevate more people into that limelight that you very much need if you're the UFC that just sold for $4 billion and is looking to you know re-up on a TV contract in a couple of years. Exactly, and because, I mean, UFC 200 exhausted sort of a lot of the, you know, the title pictures, right. but... I mean, Cleveland only has one title fight. This pay-per-view didn't have a title fight. 201 only had one. It's not like we're short on title fights to headline cards for the rest of the year. Um, This is something I've written about. I left this card being like with Garbrandt winning. um, You know, we now basically, outside of middleweight and heavyweight, everything, if they're trying to get one title fight in for each weight class by the end of the year, those are New York and Toronto. Yep. Um, and, you know, the Fox card, like, especially if GSP comes back, that Toronto card is going to be very strong, almost by necessity. Um, so I think Connor probably needs a little while to recover with that leg. I think Nate does, too. I don't want to see them fighting right away. I want them to get healthy and then run it back. There's no real reason not to, as you were saying, um, because the end of the year is going to be fun and I'm not trying to segue into our next topic of conversation by any means here, but like we've got Cormier Johnson too. And that's awesome. So that can probably headline New York. Um, the the and, segue is there. I'm going to take it. It's okay. the keyboard Kimura podcast on province sports radio, East Spencer kite, Danny Austin of the Calgary sun. The segue is there. You, you hit me up with it. We have Anthony Johnson, Daniel Cormier too, because Anthony Johnson went out and made Glover Teixeira absolutely regret politely asking him to get into a face-punching exhibition in Mm -hmm. Las Vegas on this card. Um, I talked to both of them beforehand. AJ said he wanted to get done as quick as he could because he just finished getting some dental work done, didn't want to mess up his grill. So he walked out and messed up Glover Teixeira's grill. Uh, If you watch the slow-mo replay, I don't know if you guys caught it cage-side, but a tooth comes flying out of Glover Teixeira's mouth when Anthony Johnson absolutely detonates a right uppercut on his jaw. I wrote something today saying, like, 
I wasn't all that keen on seeing a rematch between Anthony Johnson and Daniel Cormier because we were at the first fight. DC took his best shot and ultimately submitted him. I cannot wait to see this fight again now because that performance was just a reminder both of Anthony Johnson's scary power and Daniel Cormier being ungodly durable for having taken that shot that started their first fight, coming back and dominating the action the rest of the way. I assume you're in a similar camp. I'm a hundred percent in a similar <laughs> camp. Um, I mean, we're just tossing it out there as if like, Oh, Daniel Cormier took AJ's best shot. That's incredible. Right. Like, um, I went back and rewatched it like three times this morning, just finding it on random YouTubes. And thankfully people have slowed it down and like show DC kind of tumbling across the cage. And I just remember my reaction sitting next to you and Schaller in that seat and going, this is going to be done in like under a minute. Good Lord. And then DC came back. Yep. And, um, came back. And I mean, I love that fight. Um, I don't think anyone has gotten a rougher ride in terms of public <laughs> perception than Daniel Cormier. Who was um, booed roundly last night when they just, cut to him. I just don't get it. He's done nothing wrong. No. And like that AJ fight was really impressive. And then he put on one of the performances of the year against Alexander Gustafson. Right. Got screwed with that with the john jones incident and then went out and put on like yeah no it was not particularly interesting but it was a professional workman-like performance against anderson silver where he did exactly what he had to the guy's done (laughs) nothing wrong and it's so funny to me i feel awful for him that the fans just don't like him i mean Um, he's a he's a huge pro wrestling fan i've said it before he is 100 percent the john cena of the ufc to the hardcore fans the way that cena is for for hardcore wwe fans all he does is everything that you could ask for of a professional athlete and a UFC fighter, and yet he is summarily booed every time they show him on the screen. And people are just like, the only thing they want to say to him is, you're not the real champion. And it's like, well, your boy isn't here. So, yeah. And I got this belt. We're going to go and defend it. It's going to be a hell of a fight. It's such a tiresome argument. <laughs> like... John Jones is not the champion. He's just not. I mean, if they're, those same people are probably the ones saying that Connor has to give up his featherweight belt um, for not fighting for a year. Daniel Cormier is the guy. I watched Anthony Johnson out there, and I love guys like Derek Lewis. I love all of them. There are some heavy, heavy hitters in the UFC. You watch most of those guys. I mean, I watched Artem Lobov and Chris Avia, which I thought was a terrible fight. Artem Lobov has power. He just misses all the time. Right. (laughs) Anthony Johnson, more than Derek Lewis, more than Mark Hunt, more than any of them, is a precision striker who has so much power. He's the scariest guy in the UFC. Um, To the point where I still don't know. I, I... Part of the reason I want Jones back is because I <laughs> think Anth- I think Anthony Johnson would beat John Jones. Um, I, I really, really do. Uh, I know what John Jones's road to victory is. It's to grind him down, but that's everyone's road to victory, except for Glover Teixeira, who I love Glover Teixeira, but like, what the hell was he thinking? <laughs> yeah. Mean, don't stand in the middle of the octagon and throw punches with Anthony Johnson, and he. I mean. Anthony Johnson's the real deal. He's a scary dude. And I think Daniel Cormier is top two or three pound for pound fighters in the world. And I think Anthony Johnson could 
go in there and knock him out in the first round if he connects. I mean, I'm not saying that's what I think will happen, but it's it's completely possible. I mean, I, I think if Anthony Johnson really wanted to, he could fight at heavyweight no problem. Like, if he didn't want to cut the little bit of weight that he cuts to make 205, or the, like, 25 pounds that he probably cuts to make 205 and just fight as a 230 heavyweight, I think he's top 10. He just athletically explode Like, the power that he carries, the diversity of his striking, like, as you said precision dude that that is on the money more often than not he's not in there wasting energy wasting movements it's just okay feel you out connect we're done here good night and i don't want to sing the praises of his outside of the octagon personality too much because uh he has a past i don't want to use the word complicated because i don't necessarily think that that's the right word but uh there's there's some very troublesome um, Anthony Johnson issues in the past. He conducted himself like a class act this week, and I, I do think he deserves some credit for that. He effectively criticized Diaz and McGregor when no one else would last night in the octagon. He yep. thanked Glover Teixeira for being a professional and for showing the way professionals are supposed to act. I thought he came across really, really well. Um, and, you know, he's... The way he is now, assuming that he's got his... Um, anger issues outside of the octagon uh, resolved. He's a he's a pretty good spokesman for the sport, um, and we should never you know forget and forgive all of that stuff. But uh, he he carried himself very well this week, and uh, I love that Daniel Cormier, like he went on Twitter and addressed everyone. You know he he fought back <laughs> at the trolls and was just like AJ is next. AJ is here. Yeah, I I can't. I'm not going through this all with John right. again. <laughs> right. Um. And it's it's the right fight to make. It's a big fight, um, and it's it's two guys who I think that they they can headline. I don't know. I don't know that as, it's. I don't know that it's a. I don't know that it's. I mean, it's not as big as this fight last night was at UFC two hundred two. Um, I think of the Gustafson fight, and that was weird because. It, Gustafson was coming out off getting knocked out by Anthony Johnson. And yeah. so there was just this dearth of competitors. And listen, if they had given Ryan Bader his title shot, it would have done even fewer pay-per-view buys than that event in Houston, Texas did. They also I, owed Gustafson. Let's not forget. Yes. Gustafson was booked yes. to fight John Jones. And then um, got Gustafson bumped. got hurt. They gave yeah. it to Cormier. And then they rescheduled Cormier And then when Jones. Cormier got hurt, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, they owed Gustin. I, I never had a problem with that fight, and it was great. I, um, I think with the right supporting cast, it can be the main event of a big show. I think it can be the main event of New York with a second title fight, with a high-profile feature in the three-hole, with some big names and a lot of promotion. It can be the headlining act of an event that does very well, I don't think you can take that fight and be like, here's UFC 206 in Toronto and a bunch of Canadians with it. Mm-hmm. I absolutely agree. Um, I don't think we're going to get that in Toronto. No. Well, I yeah. have this thing with Toronto's going to be good. Yeah, Toronto's going to be good. It's the December show. It's always good. Um, and I think that they care about the Toronto market despite the last couple of years. I think that there's underlying issues that neither of us can confirm, but I believe that there are reasons why they didn't go back to Toronto right away. Um, that being said, with New York, like I think that they probably need to have learned a lesson from 200, which yep. um, you, I'm going to like just last couple cards. Let's leave out 197 here, but um, 196 was pretty terrible and then had two great 
headliners. <laughs> that was that was Connor, Nate one, and then Holly Holm and Misha Tate. Right. Uh one ninety seven to Makatapo. One ninety eight was great. Um one ninety nine was overshadowed by um you know some media issues, but um was an excellent top to bottom card. A lot of fun. Right. Two hundred two hundred wasn't bad, but it was a bit of a I think for for casual fans it was a bit of a letdown. And then two two oh one was two oh one, two oh two was great. The the cards that have been really great there though were the ones that Yes, they had the star power at the top, but they didn't rely on veteran names who fans knew from right. 2009. They're the ones who had Cody Garbrandt. They're <laughs> the ones who had these young guys who are up and coming and really have something to prove. Dustin Poirier looking like a champ yeah. in beating Bobby Green in, and, in L.A. Exactly. Um, and what's his name? Polo Reyes and um, yeah. like those who – I mean, neither of those guys are amazing, but that fight was. But like – I don't know that New York has to break pay-per-view numbers. It just has to have a big fight feel. Um, and I think we're almost, almost regardless of who's on it, it's going to, because it's New York, because it's MSG for the first time, because of the history of that venue in combat sports, mm-hmm. I think you can do, kind of as we said, a couple title fights, a, a good kind of contender bout, and then just a bunch of fights that, like, I love the fact that next Saturday I'm going to get to watch Jim Miller and Joe Lozon fight. It has mm-hmm. no influence on the rankings. There are two dudes that are out of the title picture, but my God, is it going to be fun. Even and, if it's and, 70% as good as their first fight, that means it's going to be outstanding. And those are the kind of fights that I think there needs to be a greater focus on going forward. Exactly. I think that they need to focus on the in-arena feel for New York, right? I mean, they really want to make an yes. impact on New York. They don't have – this isn't a year ago where I would have assumed that, you know, Ronda Rousey or Connor would be head- headlining and co-headlining. Or, you know, maybe not that. But t- they, they did their big show with 200 that was supposed to break all the records. And then they've got Connor whenever they need him, who is going to come close to breaking records no matter what right now. Um, put a bunch of – hungry guys from the Northeast from the Northeastern seaboard and watch what they do in this venue that they grew up, you know, dreaming of fighting in. I, I, I honestly think that AJ Cormier is a, is a perfect headliner for it. Yeah, um, if you, if you go with that as a headliner, if you get Eddie Alvarez in there defending the lightweight title, and then to me, you just, you put Chris Weidman and Luke Rockhold on there. That's your third. There's your main card. That sells to hardcore fans. That's drawing casual fans. The feel of MSG, as you said, I agree with you that the in-arena in feel needs to be what they're going for. You need to capture some of that New York, East Coast, tri-state area. Just, I mean, I, I have always loved the suggestion of doing New York versus the world. I don't think they can do it completely. But as many, the way they book Canadian cards is the way they need to book that first New York card. As many guys from that state as you can put on that card against tough opponents in good fights, do it up because it will be fantastic. Yeah, exactly. And, and I mean, I'm not trying to go off topic here, but there's also the possibility. I don't think it's a great possibility, but if Dan Henderson beats Bisbing and retires, <laughs> it's possible that Rockhold Weidman is for the belt. Um, I, it's not what I, I I am going off topic here. What I would like to see if that happens is them have Bisping, Jacare, Weidman, and Rockhold, not in a one night tournament, but no, in like express, a bracket, yeah, yeah a absolutely that goes over you know six months to determine. I like it's just it's fun. We haven't done anything like that in a while, and uh, 
sometimes you can just do things because they're fun. <laughs> um, you know, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I think that AJ set us up for that. I mean, I, I don't think you could have done Glover Cormier. No, um, I don't think so either. But I mean, if you like knockouts <laughs> like AJ and if, and if you are genuinely a fan I mean, of you, mixed you martial arts. You just need to go back and watch that first fight because it started in such thrilling fashion mm-hmm. and that possibility exists from the opening bell to the final horn of every Anthony Johnson fight. And so that makes it like him knocking Glover Teixeira, even if that didn't come in 13 seconds, him knocking Glover Teixeira out in that fashion or the way he knocked out Little Nog in his second fight back into the UFC that is always going to draw people in and that is always going to be compelling because you then have to see the guy like Daniel Cormier that either A, takes it and comes back or B, works enough of a strategic tactical approach to avoid getting caught with that. And as much as we talk about, oh, he's got one punch knockout power and fight changing power and stuff like that, you said it earlier, Anthony Johnson is the scariest dude in the UFC in terms of his striking ability and his striking power. And so that makes that fight so interesting, regardless of how much people hate Daniel Cormier. Exactly. And stop hating Daniel Cormier. And stop hating Daniel Cormier. He's a good dude. He is one of the one of the best guys there are in this business. Give him a little bit of love. It is the Keyboard Kamara Podcast, Province Sports Radio. Danny Austin of the Calgary Sun joining me to discuss all things UFC 202. Spend a little bit of time now just kind of running down some of the other highlights for me. I said it coming out of Ottawa. I am saying it again now. Tactical, smart, welterweight Donald Cerrone is such a beautiful fighter to watch. He would probably get mad at me for using that word beautiful in reference to him. But good Lord, that was a... Just... I've watched the the gif of that finishing combo probably 15 times. Yeah, I was going to bring it, it up. It was Street Fighter. It was yeah. Tekken. It was all those video games that we spent thousands of dollars on in the arcade. And it was just... it. It's the kind of technique and it's the kind of combination that was always there potentially for cowboy back in the day but that to me and i'm going to sing his praises and it's not just because he's a friend that to me is the influence of brandon gibson in terms of unlocking some of that confidence in cowboy to throw those things and to be this aggressive and effective and now he's top 10 in two divisions and a free agent and like, this is the perfect time right now for Donald Cerrone to be at this point. Yeah, I mean, it's it's an incredible story coming off, you know, getting really badly beaten by RDA um, in one of the poorer showings from a challenger <laughs> for a title fight in a title fight in, a, in a, at least a year. I mean, he, he did not look like he was on RDA's level. And then he's just gone up to 170. And he said it like... I didn't even, I mean, you're watching it, but you're starting to get hyped for the, the main co-main. I mean, you know how it is. You're trying to write about what's happening. Right. So, I mean, I, I certainly saw it, but it wasn't until I watched that that combo slowed down. I mean, he goes headshot, body shot, head kick in a matter of, and it's so, I mean, it's, it it's seems It's just like, flow. It's just yeah. fluid. And poor Rick Story. I mean, that's going to get anybody, honestly. Yeah. I mean, if, if that, like, that, that was brilliant. Um, and I'm really not so excited for him talking about wanting to go fight for the 155 belt 
Um, I'd like to see him continue fighting at welterweight. Um, it's a bit of a reversal from him because he's always said he didn't care about titles. Yep. Um, but he's looked so much healthier. He's still, from a media perspective, completely miserable during fight week. Um, <laughs> he's, still, he's, he's one of the best interviews in the sport as long as he's not cutting weight. And then the second he cuts weight, he's, uh, he's a bit of a grump. But, um, I mean, he looked, he looked great. And I, my concern has always been when he starts facing sort of bigger yep. welterweights. Um, but for right now, it's where he looks better. Yeah. And, um, I want to see him keep fighting 170. I mean, he's, I'm, yeah, I mean, I understand his, his thought process on 55 and I talked to him heading into, he was actually like doing his convoy thing to, to Vegas, um, when we spoke. And so he was in great spirits cause he's, you know, got a trailer behind him with a boat and some Harleys and he's about to have some fun. And I get it. Like you said, why wouldn't I call out Eddie Alvarez? I already have a win over him. That That's what makes sense. And you're right. It is a complete departure from the Donald Cerrone of old who never really cared about titles. I get it. It's an opportunity for him to, you know, kind of make the most. We've been talking about money fights and it's it's an opportunity for him to have the greatest return possible. I mean, even if you just look at the ridiculous Reebok payouts, he gets a bunch more money by being a title challenger than he does even being one of the most active guys on the roster that's at, a very the, good point. at the high end of the of the Reebok payouts. Yeah, that's, that's a very good point. And but, I mean, but I'm with you. He looks so good at welterweight. He's a guy, to me, that you can just continue to have in... Like, he doesn't even have to be in the title picture at welterweight because there are so many options. So you can just, for maybe one or two more fights, depending on how they go, I know he just absolutely murked a top 10 guy, but you can get him in there with somebody that's in that 7 to 12, 7 to 15 range that is going to be another fun fight as the headliner on a fight night show somewhere between now and the end of the year and just see what happens. Or maybe give him that test that you mentioned of a bigger, stronger, tougher guy. Maybe give him Kelvin Gastelum and see how he does against a tough, hungry kid that's got good wrestling and a durable chin and see what happens. Yeah, and I mean... There's nothing wrong with the UFC avoiding giving him the worst possible challenge of welterweight right now, right? I mean, I think we can say for sure, look, I love Yair Rodriguez, but the UFC is making sure that he's not put against a guy who's going to take him to the ground. And keep Correct. Um, Yair and, Rodriguez will have a very favorable matchup for the next fight card in Monterey, Mexico, or in Mexico City, provided yeah. his foot is not like jacked up and he's able to be there. Exactly. Or whenever he fights next, to be honest. And, I mean, the only guy who I've really had an issue, I, I did think that they, you know, helped Connor get to the top yeah. that way. But then Connor, luck, good investment, good decision, <laughs> UFC. That worked out for you. Um, I, and I do think Connor's <laughs> probably the best featherweight in the world at this point. So, you know, why did he have to prove anything else? And But with Donald, like, give him, a, as you said, give him a fun welterweight fight where it's not going to play to the fact that he'll probably have trouble if he really gets leaned on. Um, and, look, if they want to give him the lightweight t- title, I guess they don't, I, I don't mind it from a competitive standpoint one yep. way or another. I mean, he, he has beaten Alvarez. My concern is, you know, he wins, and then, what, he's going to fight Khabib? <laughs> like, no one wants to fight. No one wants to see I mean, he again. will. I mean, yeah, I mean that's, those are the two fights that he wants the most, which is crazy given how how good he has looked at welterweight. But I talked to him in Ottawa and, and Khabib was the fight that he absolutely wanted. He gave us the great soundbite on the field at the Red Black Stadium of 
F Khabib, come get some. Um, so I'm fine with either of those, but I agree with you that like, you're just cruising along. Like there's like, you're in better spirits. You've talked about how much more you enjoy being at 70 and not cutting weight. We know you hate it. You look mm-hmm. great. Like just stick it out. Keep having some fun, dude. And I mean, I guess there's the possibility that with the earlier wake ups now, I mean, Donald, he doesn't miss weight. I'm not, I'm not yep. trying to, but he does seem, he, he admits that sometimes he wakes up on fight day and it just feels really flat. Right. He's one of those guys who Early I don't think could be a, a big yeah. plus for him. I don't think he can predict how his body reacts to the weight cut to 155. He knows he can get there, but it can do a number on him. And that's part of the reason why I don't think he, he should do it. And I mean, we can all be like, well, it's great that he wants Khabib. Khabib's skill set would be tough for yep. Cerrone. I Absolutely. think. Um, and, Whatever. I mean, you know what? I'm also, I'm the last guy who's going to tell Donald Cerrone what to do because I would have <laughs> told him to slow down and he just keeps going out there and winning. So, um, I mean, my feeling with Cerrone is we're going to get some news in the next two or three weeks. He signed a nice new yep. plump contract. Um, and, you know, the UFC's got some decisions to make at lightweight because there's a lot of guys who could be getting that next title shot. Um, and, if it's Cerrone, I, I don't think any of us would complain, but if Connor wants it, he's getting it. Yeah. So Cerrone should, you know, Cer- if that's, if Donald's saying, I'm not, I'm not fighting again until I get that lightweight title shot, she's not. But if he was saying that, he's going to be waiting along uh, a while <laughs> if Connor demands it. So, and if you yeah. know anything about Donald Cerrone, he does not like waiting. Uh, no. He is, he is very much spent that $50,000 bonus from last night already or most of it or some of it he was out scuba diving this morning so some of that money's already gone he's always buying toys he will be back in there whether it's lightweight or or welterweight remains to be seen um further down the card earlier in the night final fight of the preliminary card cody no love garbrandt just goes out and starches takea mizugaki looks up to the rafters where dominic cruz is doing analysis and says i beat him faster than you did throws down the gauntlet that has to be the next bantamweight title fight right a hundred percent can i say something before i get into that absolutely ufc production team all of a sudden has realized that cutting on the screens to the person who the fighter is talking about in the octagon is a good idea they cut to <laughs> they cut they cut to cruise i've never seen it before they cut directly to cruise and then they cut to cormier when aj was speaking and it added so much to the moment being in the arena. Yeah, because the crowd get just went, the reactions of everybody, and the crowd goes bonkers. And Garbrandt is staring right up at the screen. <laughs> I mean, in his mind, he's staring into Cruz's eyes. I have no idea where Cruz was in the arena. It was it was perfect. Um, look, Garbrandt has to be the guy. I still think, for competitive reasons, Dillashaw has the better argument. Right. Um, but I don't care. Well, and, and competitive reasons and rankings and all of that stuff haven't mattered for years in the UFC, so exactly. do the do the damn thing with these two. Exactly. Um, and, I mean, this relates back, I mean, with Dillashaw, it relates back to what we were saying about Woodley and Alvarez. It's like, man, if you want to guarantee that you get those those big fights, then act like a big fighter. Uh, I love Dillashaw. I think he's a good guy. I think he um, is a great fighter, but he doesn't always do the promo work. Yep. To, to get people interested in his fights. Garbrandt does. Um, on every level, I'm going to get to the fighting in a second. It does not hurt that Garbrandt is a good-looking guy. <laughs> I mean, like, let's, I mean, George St. Pierre was a national hero 
for a lot of reasons, but some of it was just that he looked great in a suit. Right. Um, and he was easy for casual fans to relate to. Garbrandt has all that. I mean, he's different from GSP because he's got the tattoos and all of that. Um, but like, you know, he's, yeah, it certainly doesn't hurt that he shows up to his media lunch in Los, Los Angeles and all of his media throughout the week last week in fresh David August suits. He's got a barber rolling with him, keeping him fresh, keeping his hair tight, keeping the beard perfectly manicured. Listen, I've sat and had conversations with Cody Garbrandt a number of times. You get lost in those eyes. The dude is good looking. Like he's my boy. I love him. You get lost in those eyes. He is, he is very easy to look at. He is the guy that your girlfriend would be walking through the room and be like, Oh, you're watching fights. I'll watch them with you. Yeah, if he's Michael on the screen. Not allowed to walk through a room with Cody Garbrandt, to be clear. <laughs> like, if, if he's there. Um, but, yeah, and, and he's, he's, he's got that package of being – he's the total package in terms of being a UFC star. He's already a star. Yep. I mean, he's the guy who shoved Conor McGregor during the Ultimate Fighter. He he's, is the guy that shoved Conor McGregor. He's got a bit of an edge to him. Um, but he's uh, And, again, I thought that the Mizugaki fight was a bit of a, a trap fight for him. Yep. Um, you know – Schaller and I were talking, like, Mizugaki's been around the UFC for, what, probably eight years now? Between the WEC and the UFC, yeah, it's been, a, it's been a while, and he's always been that tough out. The thing that I loved about this fight and Cody's mindset and prep going into it, having spoken with him a couple of times, was every time he mentioned Dominic Cruz, because that is very much something that has been in his mind for a while... He circled it back to and ended all of those statements with, but I have to take care of business on the 20th because nothing else matters. We can have heat. We can have beef. We can, you know, it can be a perfect matchup for the UFC to sell. But if I don't get through Takeo Mizugaki in impressive fashion, if I just go out there and get a split decision and I can't put this guy away and it just looks okay... I don't get any of that. So, yeah, I want Dominic Cruz, but my hit list goes Takeya Mizugaki first, everyone else second. Yep. And good Lord, did he go out and make an impressive statement on Saturday night. I mean, I hate to, to call it back to AJ, but it's a little bit like that. Like, he just connects, man. Like, he just hurts you with his punches. He just go. I mean, he he's so relentless. His pace right from the opening bell is so quick, and he's just stalking you over around the octagon and just throwing heaters at you. I mean, um, he's for me, he's, he's the most fun bantamweight to watch, um, by a considerable distance. And the idea of him fighting Dominic Cruz, Dominic Cruz is a guy who's known for being able to take guys and not get hit. Right. So you're matching a guy who right now, and I mean, I guess he technically hasn't fought like a top three or four guy, but right now Garbrandt connects and he's going to be fighting a guy who's really hard to hit. It's it's a really interesting fight. I mean, it could totally expose Garbrandt. You, yeah, um, you can make a very easy argument that he hasn't fought the cream of the crop in that division and that he should have to fight, you know, Brian Brian Caraway, who he's tried to fight a couple times. Brian Caraway just wants no part of that for obvious reasons. Um, or Rafael Asuncao, not going to fight Faber. They're teammates. They're close friends. Um or TJ Dillashaw, you know, that that's a fight that they could make because Dominic Cruz doesn't want it. I saw somebody, and I wish I remembered who it was so I could give them proper credit. It might have been Mark Ramundi. I'm going to go with Mark Ramundi on this one. Um, suggesting Cruz Garbrandt, Faber Dillashaw, the new arena in Sacramento where they're going later in the year 
I believe it's on Fox, just set it up. Sacramento versus everybody. That makes perfect sense to me. That's the way you do it. And for a dude like Brian Caraway, who is going to bark and say, why does this guy get a shot ahead of me? I've beat higher-ranked opponents. The answer is because you did not take this fight or some of the other fights that have been offered to you in the past. Mm -hmm. And that's just the way it goes. And as you said, it, it certainly doesn't hurt that Cody Garbrandt is marketable, that he is happy to do the promotional work, that he has both a tremendous backstory of his own in terms of you know, where he's come from upbringing-wise. He's also got the story with Maddox Maple, who was again in attendance, you know, and and that side of things that crosses over to be a larger national media story um, when that comes out to more people. And Dominic Cruz wants it. And so if the champ is like, look, this is the dude I want, you're probably going to make it happen. Yeah, they have to. Um, They absolutely, they just have to. I mean, there's no one... Outside of the competitive argument, which again, as you said, that hasn't mattered in the UFC for years, and they just sold for four billion, so I don't tend to question their business decisions all that often. Um, it, it's the fight that makes the most sense. It's the fight that's going to get the most people interested. Um, I think it's a fight that even if if Garbrandt loses to one of those other sort of top three or four guys, I think he it's a, he falls back a little bit. Right. So if he loses to Cruz. He lost, he, lost the to the be- he lost to the best fighter the division yeah. has ever seen. And so you and don't lose any you don't lose any ground by losing to the best fighter. Whereas if Exactly. So you can still exactly build him up saying. and he right. deserve and he deserves to be, you know, if he loses to Cruz, he's got to go back down and do the work. Um but he has I mean it's always funny, like in retrospect, it's like, oh Thomas Almeida just wasn't on his level or whatever, but we really assumed that he was. Yep. We a hundred. Listen, I talked to Cody, and and I've told him this because I've talked to him a couple of times. I had him on the show before that fight, and he sat on the other end, just as you are now, and said, "I'm going to go out there and knock this dude out in the first round. He has never faced anyone like me. There are holes in this guy's game, and I'm going to put it on his chin, and it's going to be over." And I went out and wrote my punch drunk predictions and said, sorry, dude, I just don't think it's going to happen. Pick Thomas Almeida and sent him a text afterwards. and was just like, I'm sorry. That was awesome. Yeah. Let's talk again soon. Please still come on my show every once in a while. Yeah. And, and he's, he's done everything that he said he was going to do. He has proven himself at every step. And to me, this is one of those moments where instead of babying the guy, instead of bringing him along slowly, and going to the, well, he still needs to prove himself that the UFC pulls out every once in a while, you just jump him to the front of the line. You make the fight that he wants, that Dominic Cruz wants, that the fans want, and just tell everybody else sorry. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) And, I mean, and that's just it. And, I mean, this relates, you and I have talked, I mean, I've only been covering the sport for for a couple years now, and, um, you know, I often when I'm trying to make sure I learn the history, there are fights, I mean, they're like Dan Hardy fights where I'm like, oh, that's not that impressive a win for for GSP because Hardy loses a bunch of fights afterwards when you're just right. you know looking at how he did. And you just you don't have that narrative. And that's what I think it is with Garbrandt. It's like, oh well he hasn't beaten anyone elite, except that Thomas Almeida was considered elite at the time. Right. When you when he meet, rises to every challenge you throw in front of him, he's doing all he can. Um and there's no reason right now. I mean from what I've seen from Cody Garbrandt, yes, I need to see him fight top guys, but I don't really have any reason to 
assume that he wouldn't beat them anymore. When everything that we've had over the last couple of years has been about the most entertaining fight, the most compelling fight, the one that's going to draw the most, you don't then suddenly decide and pick and choose different spots where rankings and procedure and fairness become your metrics that you're going to rely on. And so, you know what the great thing about the UFC is? We're saying like the big fun fights. There's one headliner and then a bunch of other fights. And normally those have a whole bunch of like integrity. Right. You know, like there's a lot of competitive integrity (laughs) on the, on a UFC card. It's just sometimes the one that they're using to sell that card with. Yeah. The main event yesterday was a fight that didn't necessarily need to happen, but the co-main event was the number one and number two contenders in the light heavyweight division because the number two guy literally was like, look, I don't want to try to skip to the front of the line and ask for a title shot because there is one guy ahead of me who might be the scariest human being on the roster, but I'd like to try to punch him in the face. It exactly. didn't work out for him, but it you still get that sport competitive integrity most of the time, just not always at the top. And and that's got to be understandable. That's the balance the UFC has to strike and that fans have to understand. We don't always agree with it, but it makes complete sense. And another quick anecdote. Um, you obviously watched the 204 press conference yes. on Thursday. One of the weirdest press conferences. Very I love Dave so. Schaller. I, I think that in the past we have <laughs> I, we've always. I already had, know exactly where you're well, going with this, and you're a hundred percent right. But like in the past, it was always when Dave Schaller would show up at uh, post fight. Love the guy, great guy to talk to and chat to. But you're always like, well, Dana's not here, and Dave can't really say anything. Like Dave always has to play the good company man and and give you the political answer, whereas you always kind of thought Dana might go off the book. And then someone asks, I think John Morgan asks yeah. Schaller about why does this why fight putting, make sense right why now? Why does Dan Henderson and Mike Bisbing, Dan Henderson, who like hasn't looked like an elite fighter in years, and Schaller literally is like, I'm going to be transparent, bad blood sells. Yeah. And I was like, is this the new ownership? Just, you know, telling Schaller to say what he wants. It was a great quote, um, and it's true. And it, it relates to Garbrandt and Cruz because Cruz is a weird trash talker. Right. But he's, <laughs> he, he does it. He, he, talks a he lot. does a very good job of he sort of is in between. Um, he's a little bit more trash talk than Joanna Yanjacek, but he also needles you in that same way because he puts you on the spot and makes you kind of he wants you to present facts to back up what you're saying because he's such an analytical guy because he's had to spend most of the last four years on the sidelines being an analyst. Um, but yeah, he, there's some, there's, I mean, he, you know what he, he is? Was, he's the guy, he's an elite fighter. I'm not, like, I'm just saying in terms of personality Yep. is he's the kid in grade seven who hasn't hit puberty yet, but <laughs> talks trash to the guys who've had their growth spurts. Like he's just, he just talks so much and he's so annoying and like, you just want to slap him, but you can't. And then he gets in the octagon and is amazing. I mean, he, I don't know. I don't know if they played it in, in the arena last night, but he did such a, perfect job on Fox Sports and they were they're all kind of, like everybody else at the desk is kind of ribbing on him a little Rashad and Brian Stan and Jake Laser are all giving him the gears because he's sitting there watching the fight eating his apple and and just kind of doing whatever and they're teasing him about being up there and, and saying all these positive things about a guy that just called him out and he said look I have a job to do right here I can tell you as an analyst that this is what he did well these are the good things absolutely has power and then looks in the camera and just straight up 
ethers Cody Garbrandt with a, <laughs> and I am going to put you out, son. Like, just yeah. drops something bad on him on national television. And that's the thing that Dominic Cruz can do. Because right now, all the people that have said all kinds of stupid things about Dominic Cruz, not one of them have been able to back it up in the cage when push comes to shove. No. And somehow the dude has looked better since coming back off multiple very serious lower extremity injuries, to quote the NHL. Mm -hmm. And so make this fight happen. Let them talk smack at each other for a couple of months. Do it in Sacramento. I love the mm -hmm. idea of Faber and TJ Dillashaw as the co-main, provided Faber gets through Jimmy Rivera in Cleveland. It's the Keyboard Kimura Podcast, Province Sports Radio. My guest has been Danny Austin of the Calgary Sun. Before I get you out of here, is there anything else that kind of stood out? I know you're a Colby Covington supporter and believer. Um, I'm he a big Colby He had a good Covington. win last night. Anything else that, that jumped out from you at UFC 202? Uh, I'm going to say that, what's that guy's name? Mike Perry? Yes. Um, there, there was a clip today, and I think it needs to be brought up, of his, um, of his corner. Uh, saying some some really racist things um, right before his fight, and uh, that guy, look, he looked great when the fight started, but he left a really sour taste in my yep. mouth with his uh, conduct this week. And uh, I hope that the UFC, at the very least, sits down and has a has a talk with him. But uh, I think that there needs to be some sort of punishment because that uh, that, that that sort of behavior has yeah, no that, place that, uh, in the octagon. That vine that's going around uh, yeah. Mike Perry's corner talking about Hyung Yu Lim who he beat by first-round TKO um, in his UFC debut on short notice, as you said. Great performance, but he's also the guy that, you know, the fake handshake pullback, um, and then to add that on top of it over the weekend, there's just, there's no place for it. It's just, yeah. it's one of those things that is the complete opposite end of what you want from these athletes, from their corners, and out there. And, and in this day and age, I mean, social media, technology, you say something stupid, we're getting to see it. We're getting to we're getting to digest it. And so as an organization, the UFC has to react to it. And there has to be some kind of maybe not a statement from the UFC necessarily, but some kind of discipline toward to that action because absolutely distasteful, absolutely disgraceful commentary. And the UFC is a place where I mean, I I shudder sometimes when I watch sort of some of Tito Ortiz's trash talk to Ken Shamrock back in the day. It has become a place where, look, it is a melting pot of races. Yep. Um, I have no question that a that a gay – well, no, you know, I don't even have to say that anymore because Emmanuel Nunez is women's bantamweight champion. I mean, Correct. Um, you know, uh, certainly sexuality has, is doesn't appear to be an issue, um, and I think that the sport has really gone a long way in terms of being a progressive and inclusive um place for athletes and it, it just really uh it bummed me out it, it doesn't overshadow it and I, I have confidence that the ufc will react to it um beyond that i mean i thought look it's at the end of the day and it's got to come back to connor at the end at the end of all this even when he lost to nate uh, at 196 he he impressed me with his conduct after the after the fight um and he was a bit of i was worried about him this week because he seemed so angry but Every single time the guy delivers, it's, <laughs> I mean, he, he really does. Um, he, I, I'm so impressed with him. And, uh, I was a guy who going into 189 had serious doubts about him, but the last 13 months, um, he is the sport's biggest star. I loved that. He spoke openly about being willingness, being willing potentially 
um, in the coming years to take a little bit of a leadership role um, in terms of unionizing and all that. Um, I think that if if he is the biggest spokesman for the sport, uh, I actually think the sport's in pretty good hands because uh, he he continues to surprise me. Um, and I mean, there's nothing like it. I mean, that stupid quote about how he was late for the press conference because traffic was bad in Vegas, so there must be a <laughs> McGregor fight in town. It's ridiculous, but also like there is something different about him. Um, there's something. Is my, he's one of those guys that you want to hate him, but you just cannot help but find the humor and enjoyment in the way yeah. he delivers some of these lines and, and some of the things he does. I think there are some things that he needs to tone down or take out of his repertoire, like some of the things that he said to Nate Diaz and his team this week. But on the whole, I agree with you completely. If, if this is the guy that is the forefront for the sport, for the UFC, in terms of performance in the cage in terms of drawing people in we're in a good spot yeah and i will also say i he has good people around him and i one of the questions that i was thinking was i, I was like there was a room of a couple thousand people for that press conference when those bottles started to th- get thrown and i thought that the footage that came out was all with nate and his team looking like so ready to go and it kind of made connor's team look bad that no footage came out of them like responding and going back. This is a macho sport. You know, you, you want to be the tough guys. Right. I've been told by a pretty well-placed source that they got back and John Kavanaugh told every single person to keep their phones away. Uh, and he was like, if, they're le- if there's legal action, I want the footage of the Diaz's to be out there and not the footage of us. Yep. Um, and that is the type of thing. I mean, I, I, I do think that John Kavanaugh, I don't think he's got anyone else in his stable who's going to be a UFC star right now. But um, I think when you say there's things he needs to take out of his repertoire, I'm actually beginning to think that maybe the people around him um, will help him do that. Um, and hopefully his stupid Mac Life videos get better because they're awful. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I don't understand how. It's it's a good decision to be in charge of your own social media and and branching out in those ways. But yeah, they, they need to get better. They, so bad. They but, need to be better, but yeah. he'll get there. But ultimately, I mean, I'm I'm coming out of this this week, um, you know, energized and excited for the UFC, uh, which I wasn't necessarily after 200, um, particularly when the Brock news broke. Right. Um, but I, uh, this sport, man, it has its <laughs> highs and lows, but the highs are a whole lot of fun. And I mean, you you can't get a better kind of reset button. And we all sort of came out of 200 going. Okay, let's like we get Robbie Lawler, that's going to be great. And Tyron Woodley turned that into his coming out party. And then we said we get kind of the reset button with Conor McGregor and Nate Diaz, and it's going to be big. It felt like it wasn't going to be through Wednesday's chaos at the, at the Copperfield Theater. Sure enough, Friday rolls around, the vibe is there, the buzz is there. Saturday night delivers in, spade, in spades, four straight stoppages, and then an instant classic in the finale. I'm sad I wasn't there. I'm glad you got to see it live. I'm sad you're not going to be out here this week for UFC on Fox 21 in Vancouver. But I know you will still be writing about it. I know you will still be doing your your usual quality work on the internet. Absence on, makes the heart grow fond, man. On, on the internet. Yeah, when we reunite and take team another one of these, it's gonna be uh, it's gonna be awesome. I can't wait. So uh, tell everybody listening how they can how they can reach out, how they can connect, and follow all of your stuff, both MMA related, Calgary Stampeders, equestrian, rodeo, curling, 
You do it all, so let people know. Yeah, um, I am um, at Danny Austin underscore nine uh, on Twitter. That's definitely the best way um, to talk. I mean, I, I love talking fights, so you can also email me if you want. But you know, Twitter <laughs> tends to be the better way. But I um, his honestly, email. I mean, I will I will give him credit for this. His email is on every friggin' piece that he puts out. So rather than just having to like people being trolls in Twitter comments and stuff like that, if they want to go straight at Danny with stuff, his email's right there. I will never do that. You suckers aren't getting into my inbox because I take that shit too personally. So you can keep it to Twitter in the comment sections that I don't read. But he doesn't. So kudos to you for that. Well, I, I love it, man. I mean, look, part of this game for me, um, you know, I, I like being I, – the criticism makes me better. Don't be a jerk. I try not to be a jerk. Um, I try to like keep a little bit of a healthy cynicism about you know everything that I cover, um, and I hope that comes across. But um, yeah, I mean, the only thing with following me on Twitter, I'll warn you, I do tweet about show jumping. Uh, I do tweet about curling. I'm. Uh, it looks like I'm he does a have a of... Harry Potter tweet pinned at the top of his profile. Yeah, I, uh, I, you know. I don't always, I don't really do the play by play stuff. Um, that's not my thing. Lots um, of Drake. I, lots of Drake. Um, looks like the Jays are going to be in the playoffs. So, uh, I'll try to leave my phone at home when I go to the bar, but probably lots of Jay stuff. And, uh, beyond that, I'm just trying to have fun. And, uh, I don't know. I mean, it's, uh, I love as, as the post media MMA guys, I, I think you and I provide different takes on the sport, yes. but, uh, I, I think that, um, you know, it really complements itself. And I hope that, uh, you know, this is something that we can continue to build because, uh, I, the sport, I, I see it exploding. I mean, people, I don't know about you, but anytime I'm out, people ask me what I do. I tell them I write about MMA and, uh, you know, guys, girls, kids. Yep. Everybody's wanna... always interested. Everybody's, yeah. everybody's got a cursory interest and want to talk to you about it. And so even I if agree. they hate we... it, even yeah. if they hate it, like yep. they want to, they want to know about it because, uh, you know, you and I aren't violent guys. We're not walking around looking like fighters. Like, I try to go to the gym, but <laughs> I fail more often than not. Um, and, you know, so I, I think that there's a million different ways to to cover the sport. And, if, uh, you know, I think you and I together are hopefully uh, building something that is going to be special and is going to hopefully represent Canadian MMA because uh, I'll tell you right now, people keep asking me, and I'm going on and on here. You know how pumped I am on this guy. Hakeem Dewodu, guys, look out for this guy. Calgary kid, World Series fighting. Looks like he's fighting for the title next. Then we'll probably try to make the jump to UFC. But we got some really exciting uh, prospects just outside of the UFC level right now who I, I can't wait for. So Shout out to uh, me and Hakeem. Shout out to my <laughs> guest today, Daddy Austin. Thank As you so said, much. Doing great stuff on Sun calgarysun.com and across all of the Sun properties and post-media properties. Follow him on Twitter at Danny Austin underscore nine. Me, you hear it every week, a couple of times a week. But we'll say it again just in case you missed it. At Spencer Kite on Twitter and Instagram. Been trying to do a little bit more on Instagram. There will be a bunch of stuff this week as we have the UFC coming to town. Going to test drive Instagram stories around the house the next couple of days. And hopefully give you some goods throughout the week. Until then, it has been a killer weekend of fights. We have another great one coming up. We will discuss them a little later. Myself and Patrick Shiviklinski will be in studio with the triumphant return of the man who is in the actual, like, named before me in the intro to this podcast, the one and only Paul Chapman. We'll be taping that on Thursday. It'll be out to Thursday afternoon. Um, until then, 
Go back and rewatch UFC 202 because it was awesome. Enjoy those fights. Get ready for the fights on the weekend. And as always, be good to one another. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to Keyboard Kimura, the official mixed martial arts podcast of the province. Read the Keyboard Kimura blog on theprovince.com, follow them on Twitter at Keyboard Kimura, or visit them on Facebook at facebook.com slash keyboardkimura. Kimura.